And here we are again, once again, uh, coming to you, from, well, not live, but from the Blue Wire Studios here in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. We are at the Wan Hotel and Casino and Resort, because it is a resort, and it is getting hotter, and the walk into work is getting more and more different every day. Special show today, because for those of you who might remember my, my time at Fox, there was this one show, which in many ways almost changed the way we do everything when it comes to television. And it was called Triple F, Fox Phone-In. And my counterpart on that show was the one and only Nick Webster. And he is joining me today. So cue the clapping. Here, here he is. Nick, welcome to Vegas. Welcome to my show. Absolutely honored to be here, Eric. I mean, this studio is far better than that crappy box we had at Fox. I'll tell you, isn't it? <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the things that, uh, that you realize about the wind is when they do something, they do it to the nines and, you know, they've, they, I, don't, I wouldn't say they've outdone themselves, but this, this place is pretty terrific. I, mean, right. I don't really get to, to, to expound on it much. And a lot of people haven't seen the visuals of the show yet. So eventually people will know what a wonderful place this is to be, but it's good to have you. Thank you. It's beautiful to be here. Big for the wind sign. You sliding on your knees. I don't know if it's me. It's just it's just a blank face. Are you face. sure? Are you sure? Because it does uh, my, look like you sliding on nah, your knees. No, my knees couldn't handle that. Nope. Especially in the latter stages of my career. Knee slides were out of the picture. Before we get into it with Nick, and we start uh, reminiscing about old times, lots to catch up on when it comes to the world of football. A lot of cool things have happened over the weekend. And again, we will, as we get through the week, what we're going to do is we're going to engage again. I will all engage you. I'll ask you to engage with the... Uh, uh, for the win podcast on Twitter, because we're going to start the, uh, the the questions going immediately. Uh, and then what we would love to do is to know what you want to talk about on Thursday when I'm back in this beautiful studio. But the, as as it would be, the first thing on my mind today, and as Nick and I were walking in, I even brought it up, is just Carlo Ancelotti. Do people realize how amazing this is? The guy has has won everything. He's done it in Italy. He's done it in England. Not in France, Germany, and now Spain. Germany's the one that stands out to me. It just never seemed like a place that he would have fit in, but I was there when he was able to hoist the trophy for Bayern. So, I mean, let's hear it for him. 62 years old, still going. I saw all the pictures. All of his players want to take selfies with him. He's got a big old fat cigar. Champions, again, pretty amazing stuff there. As far as in everything that's going on in the EPL, things are getting a little uh, squeaky bum time. Is that what we call it, squeaky or what? Squeaky bum time. Is it squeaky bum or twitchy bum? Which one is it? Because my bum's twitching. It's, I mean, look, you look at what happened with Everton, right? They get the win. And then you you look at what happened with Leeds. They get pummeled. And Jesse Marsh is getting is cheered off the field by the, uh, the faithful as if to say, you're our man. You're our man. We're going to stay in with you. Where do you stand on this? I'm looking at, I'm going to go through the fixtures. But what did you make of that? Everton has been crap. They finally get a win and they do it against Chelsea. Obviously, the, the, the ties with Frank Lampard. And he was criticized for actually being joyful about beating his old club. But we, I mean, I know, you, I know you're an Arsenal man and that's going to be its own conversation. But what do we make of this fight now? Burnley's turned it around. Everton's starting to act like they might get some results and Leeds has been dragged into this mess. Well, it's always about Everton's home form and the Gladys Street and Faithful are the really the one that are driving Everton forward. That 12th man effect is incredible. Uh, the captain, Seamus Coleman, said that as their bus was driving up to Goodison Park on Saturday, he had never seen 
the streets so crowded right. and the atmosphere so crazed. So you've got to believe that the, the, the home form's really pushing them forward because they're absolute pants on the road. Leeds United, we thought there was a turnaround, but it was the new manager bounce. Yeah. You know, we've seen that so many times. And then Burnley, I mean, listen, they were 1-0 down to Watford and Leeds United were thinking, great, we're safe. Yeah, and then bang, bang. Bang, and- bang. They've turned it around. And you know this yourself. Momentum everything. is everything. And yep. Burnley currently have it. I think Everton are beginning to sniff it and Leeds don't have it. Okay, so let me take talk you through it. I mean, because this, this is part of the equation. Because Burnley, you know, they, they, they fire Sean Dyche. Everybody said, oh, what a big mistake. Nah, no, they, they're having their own balance. So this was a good move from the boys upstairs. So they get, they, they get Aston Villa, right, at home. They've got that one. And then they get Villa again after Tottenham. They got to go to Tottenham. Tottenham's chasing for, for the fourth slot. So I, I don't like that one. And then the last one is at home with Newcastle. Not the best, right? But then, how about this? Everton, on the other hand, they got to go to Leicester. Then they go at Watford. Who knows, right? And then they got Brentford at home, Palace at home, and finish with your Arsenal. The only difference between those two schedules is five games versus four, three more points on the board that they could possibly get. I think the interesting thing for me is they're going to Leicester, but Leicester have their eyes firmly on the Europa League. Right. So Brendan Rodgers, he, I mean, he, he rested Madison. He read Dukesbury. I mean, he's resting a bunch of players. Europe is their focus. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Leicester getting turned over by Everton on the road. Mm. All right. And then the last part of the equation is Leeds with that uh, 4-0 drubbing, if you want to call it that. I don't know what the English word is. Their run-in is brutal. And, but you know, now they get at Arsenal, Chelsea at home. They get Brighton at home, which, and then they finish it with Brentford. Now, and everybody's underestimated Brentford all year. Brentford actually gets Manchester United today. We'll see how that plays out. Does, does, does Leeds go back down? I mean, he's... Unfortunately, it's looking that way. And, and the reason I say that is because they're going to lose to Arsenal. I believe they'll lose to Chelsea because all of a sudden, Chelsea are getting like sucked into this Champions League we? thing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, look. Uh, no, it, the race is on now. With that loss, they're yeah. only four points clear. So if, if Arsenal can figure it out, if Tottenham starts to figure it out, and, and let's say Leeds pulls off a tie, you know, now, it, now it's tricky. Yeah, you can't afford any slip-ups. Right. And, so, then, and then what's their excuse? Oh, Abramovich left us. We have new ownership, blah, blah, blah. No, look, players love an excuse, but let's go back to Leeds. They're the one, they're the team that fired Bielsa. And everyone was like, oh my God, how could you fire Marcelo Bielsa? He's a hero. They're going to make a statue of him outside of Ellen Road. Jesse comes in, he gets a few good results. But now the tide has turned. Leeds are, it's, the analogy I think of, Eric, is quicksand. Leeds are, <laughs> Leeds are in the quicksand and they're getting sucked down. They need a rope. They need something. And they're relying on Rafinha, who's carried the team pretty much offensively all season long with Bamford being injured. But I don't think he can do it. Mm. Well, quicksand, the whole idea is to stay completely still until somebody saves you. So maybe that's your, good, that's your analogy. It's like, just don't move. Hopefully something happens. They pick up six points and they hope it's enough that everybody else screws up and allows them to stay in. Let me ask you this, because you know Bob kind of went through the same thing when he went to Swansea, a couple of good results, and then the tide turned and, and he got fired. Would Jesse get fired if Leeds get relegated? You know, I, I think that, and I said this on Max Bretos's podcast yesterday, there are some managers, to use the phrase, that could talk a dog out of a bush and back in again. And they're good at it. And the talk works. And it's far down the road where they realize, okay, this guy might be a fraud. But, and I'm not saying that, that Jesse is, but, he, you know, I'm just saying he is selling something and they have bought it and they're going to allow that to play out. 
So does he go down? Does if they go down, does he go down with him? Probably. I think he stays. Yeah. I think he stays with them and then they finish the project because, you know, the last thing you want to do is, and there's the smartest thing. And this is, this is what cracks me up. Smartest thing is he's got a three-year deal. You want to pay this guy out to go away? You know, I, I got to give Jesse some credit. This is the third time he's done that. Montreal fired him early and he was gone. He said, I'm just going to travel the world and see what's going on. He's the one that called me and said, hey, do you got any connections at uh, Chelsea? I want to go watch training. So I'm calling Michael Emanello to, to figure it out so that he can go stay in a hotel and emulate everything that Chelsea does. And then he comes back and slings that to the next MLS team and it worked. Well, do Leeds become a yo-yo club much like Norwich? Get relegated, promoted, relegated, promoted. Because you see what happens if you miss that window, yeah. that first year back, if you don't get promoted immediately, it gets yeah, okay, very, very difficult. I mean, Fulham's coming back up. We saw that. In the German Bundesliga, I love what Schalke has done. Because Schalke never panicked. They're a massive club. People don't realize what a massive club Schalke, Schalke Nilfir is. It's, it's located in Essen. It's like the middle of the Gelsenkirchen, which is like right in the middle of, of everything. They have one of the most glorious stadiums that you've ever, you could ever be in. Yeah, been there. And, you know, and they are, I remember in 90, I think it was 1991, they had their big slip up and then they've, they've been up ever since. But you would have thought the world had ended back then. But they made an immediate, an immediate jump back up. Peter Neurer was their manager when they did that. I know that guy because he was my manager in Schalke. I, I mean, at Saarbrücken. I don't know what he did. He brought Schalke up, right? And gets fired. And then he takes Saarbrücken up. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's something, something weird must have happened over there. It was always called the Chaos Club, but is, in my point to you, is in, in this long, drawn out story, is Schalke the Leeds? It was always the Chaos Club. Leeds, way back when, they were overpaying people and they got themselves in, you know, in all kinds of money issues. They needed someone like Bielsa to come in with a real plan and a different way of seeing the world that was going to actually work in the championship and then, you know, keep them, you know, keep them healthy. But to your point, if Leeds goes down, I don't think it's the end of the world. They're not Sunderland, okay? Sunderland, Sunderland went down and that was it. Goodbye. That, that ship sank and they had too many anchors. It's gone. Leeds will cut rope on the anchor. They'll, they'll float back to the surface, won't they? Well, I'd like to think so. I mean, they're one of the great historic traditional clubs of English football. They had, like you say, the Peter Ridgedale era where they massively overspent to right. compete in the Champions League. Points, deductions, fines. They went down all the way down to League One. Right spent quite a bit of time in the championship. I think they had three or four playoff runs where they couldn't quite get over the line. And then obviously the hiring of Bielsa was the, the catalyst for them to make the move back to the premiership. But it's a, it, it will be a shame to see them go down because I love the atmosphere at Ellen Road. I mean, those Yorkshire people, they get right behind their team. They are one of the most historic clubs in England, but the table doesn't lie. It doesn't. And you know, who's the most disappointed out of those three fan bases? Burnley? Everton or Leeds? Well, that's a great question. The most disappointed. I think the one it would hurt the most would be Everton. Yeah, and, and that's where I'm going with this. Because, and, and because it's there and because there's support right now and they've got, and the, the, the visuals from the post-match was unreal of the Everton. And our boy, you know, Roger Bennett, did you see his day? Did you happen to see that on Twitter? He was already hitting the Jägermeister at 9.30 in the morning. Oh my God, just watching him go through that. Roger, I know you're out there. I know you sometimes listen. God bless you. I mean, you might, you're still recovering. You, you still have to be recovering. Just go watch it because he put it in chronological order and it just, just got this game over. I mean, he, he. Well, the interesting out. thing, you know, Everton have, they've broken ground on a new stadium. This stadium's going to cost, oh, God knows how much, 500 million pounds. Right. If they go down, 
everything's on hold. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the club, seriously, because these clubs owe so much money. I don't know how because they get this massive TV deal, but Everton are one of these clubs that owes three, four hundred million pounds and they could potentially go out of business. Right. That's, see, that's the thing. You know, and I'm familiar with a club called Alemania Aachen. Okay, now they're located in a wonderful spot. Their story is not too dissimilar from what Everton is living right now. They build this glorious stadium, Tivoli. They had this wonderful stadium before, but they only moved it like right down the block. This thing's gorgeous, right? They actually, and, so, and they are, they have, at that point, I think it was Eric Meyer who was in charge, ex-former player, legend of the club, that blah, blah, overspends like an idiot. He is, I mean, he, and, and when I went and met those people, I said, look, my name is Eric Winalda. It's not Eric Meyer. Not Meyer. Don't get mad at me, right? Because this guy ruined your club. But here's what happened. They're, they pushed to go in the first division. Spent one year in the first division, kind of overpaid, right? They, they, they had a shot at Europe. Brief shot at Europe, right? And then now they say, oh, this is where it all happens. We're going to take it to the next level. These new players that they sign, this is the way the story was told to me, have come into the club. Now they're getting paid a lot of money, right? These are first division players who have experienced this, that, and the other. Eric brings them in. Now, the first complaint that they had, oh yeah, great stadium, but until you improve the training facilities, you're not, you know. So the owner reacts and he spends, you know, 15, 20 million euros to try and, make the play, everything now, right? So he's, and in the event that he spends all this money to make the, the training facilities better, they had to train offsite because they're digging it up, right? Eight injuries. Now they don't have a team. Now they, they, they just start going down. Eight, 10, 12, 14. Now they're at the bottom of the table and they're going down after they just built this glorious stadium and this wonderful training facility, right? Now they still have first division players and playing in the second division with guaranteed contracts. So what happens in those deals, those are incentive-based contracts. These guys are getting overpaid to try and get them back up. That's the classic joke. How do you make a millionaire? <laughs> By asking a billionaire to get involved with a football player. <laughs> Maybe. So these poor guys, they get, you know, they deal with the injuries. They, they, they had a bunch of old guys that couldn't, they couldn't do it anymore. And they go from first to second to third. That sounds like what happened at Saarbrücken. Yeah, uh, yes, almost. I mean, they stayed in second for a while, but, it, but this is what happens in Germany sometimes. But now they're in the third. The owner says, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm pulling the plug. This thing that goes in administration, they don't have enough time. It's, it's in arbitration. So now they haven't even figured out how to have a team. So they said, oh, it's only the third division. We'll compete with the U23s. Bang, welcome to the fourth division. Bang, 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 bang. It's so sad because if you've ever been to Aachen, it is a wonderful city. They've got great fans. They, I'm watching. And, at, and if you were six weeks ago, six weeks ago, they were at the bottom of the fourth division, staring down relegation into, into amateur leagues. And they've, they've recovered. They've recovered. Not with money. They hired a Turkish coach who's making peanuts, whose promise was, I'll get a bunch of other Turkish players to play for this club and we don't have to pay them. And they happen to be pretty good. And they pulled it off. They're up to 13th. And it looks like they got 40 points and they might stay. I'm, I'm following this story because it's relevant. It's so relevant. And you're, you're right. If Leeds doesn't, goes down. And now it's all about, oh, you know, it's all about this PowerPoint presentation of, 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 of football. And you don't have the knowledge of the championship. Jesse Marsh, who does not, forget it. And I'll be honest with you, Eric. The championship is probably, probably the most 
definitely the most competitive exactly. league in world football. We're not just going Europe, England, in world football, the most competitive league in world football. And we, and we see that every, we're going to see that in a couple of weeks here with the, uh, with the promotion battles. And that, that's, that, that stuff gets more television time than, oh, than playoffs. anything. And oh. It's unreal. Because, it's, because when they end up at Wembley, it's called the $200 million game. Yeah, and it is. And can you imagine playing a game with that much on the line? That's when you get that, that's, that's phenomenal. time. But yeah, you know, I would say this about the German second division. If you go through the, you know, why they're so smart, they're, they're probably fourth right now in, in attendance. The German second division is worldwide. So you only have, like, they, they'll surpass La Liga you know, most, of, most of the time because some of those smaller stadiums don't get, don't get uh, the crowds unless the big boys are showing up. So you get a, you know, I don't know, Bilbao versus Levante. And now, now what do you got? You got a, you got a, what do you got? You got maybe 10,000 10, people there? Yeah. But Hamburg, you know, Stuttgart goes down this year. If Stuttgart goes down and Hamburg stays in and Werder Bremen doesn't figure it out, Schalke comes back up. It doesn't matter who comes back up. You still have four, five massive clubs that uh, are, are pulling 67,000, 70,000 in their game. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's its own story. Well, good luck, Jesse Marsh, right? I mean, Norwich is already down. They're already tweeting out that Josh Sargent and Norwich has, got, has been relegated. I'm like, okay, folks, knock it off. Norwich got relegated and Josh Sargent happens to be on that team. Speaking from a man who has been relegated, I don't appreciate those statements. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Um, what are the other topics that I'll just get into really quick is Christian Pulisic, not getting a lot of time right now. And his dad started tweeting out about his son's playing time. I mean, is this like, uh, is this like the Ball Brothers or in basketball? What is this? Is this Tiger Woods? I mean, what, come on, dad, knock it off, right? I mean, he shouldn't be doing that. It's not a good look. No, it's not. And I, I, and I don't appreciate it. I, I like Mark, Mark Pulisic. I think he's smart. I think he's, what he's done for his son is, is terrific. And he's, but he shouldn't be chiming in right now. Oh, what's really sad is he loves London. He's like trying to set everybody up for his exit, right? Just stay out of it. This isn't youth soccer anymore. You know, no. you don't get to call the coach and say, why isn't my son playing? You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't, you can't do that. Well, let me, let me ask you this though. Why do you think he's not getting a, a good run? Because, you know, he came on, was it last week, scored a, a late winner, but he, he can't seem to get a consistent run in the team. Now, is it because of his form or is it because he keeps on getting hurt? Or is it because- It's the know, bottom Tuchel line, wants, man. Wants his to, manager turns around in a big game and says, who do I believe in? And then when he scores, he says, well, he's good for a month. I'm going to get somebody else to be a hero. I, that's what I think. I, I, I don't think it, and, and, and Thomas Tuchel is a very unique guy. He, he, you got to remember that he goes all the way back to his dormant days. So they, they were, they were uh, uh, reunited when, but, they, when they got together in Chelsea. Talk about the importance of a manager believing in you though. Even, even if, if, if you know, right, that it's disingenuous. Come on, you can do it. Come on. You're looking at your manager going, you don't like me. You're, you're, you're just making, is this a show for the cameras or whatever? But, and so you, it, it affects you. But how does that affect your playing? It shouldn't. It should make you, I mean, we see this all the time. We see players who play mad, playing to get out, playing because they hate their manager. You know, they, you know that, that these are guys that, that actually end up helping the team, but they're the first ones on the, on the transfer list at the end of the year because they can't stand their coach and their coach can't stand them. I've, I've, you've seen it. There's plenty of examples of that. I'm not saying that Christian Pulisic is on that list. I just think that, that Thomas Tuchel doesn't believe in him. Well, let's, let's, but I want to look at both 
polar sides in. Who was the manager that truly believed in you and what did it do for you? Well, you know what's funny about that? And this is what sucks. It was Steve Sampson for about two months. And then he changed and did like, it was like overnight, he became this, 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 this wild man. Who, but what was it like when he believed in you? I wanted to play for him, you know? And I love the, the way that he, he addressed the 1995 Copa America team. But that's a different world now. Because he got dropped into that, that, and we were right in the middle of basically revolting. We essentially told the Federation that we weren't going to play and that we were on strike. But we were sitting in a, in a, in a lobby of a hotel in Paysandu, Uruguay. And he came in and the way he handled it was terrific. But what I've realized over time is it wasn't him. It was Clive Charles. Clive was basically steadied the ship, kept the boys on board. We wanted to play for our country. And we were able to somehow put all of those differences aside because we had a great assistant manager. And then our manager got a little egotistical and, and, and it was all about him. And then we, we were like, oh my God. And he started making mistakes and playing the wrong people. And it was, it was clear as day to us. But it, that's the sad part, that it was Steve as the head manager. But I would say Clive Charles was my champion. So who was the manager that didn't believe in you? And how did that affect you? Uh, it had to be Bora Militinovic. You know, everybody said, oh, you scored that great goal in the World Cup and blah, blah, blah. You played so well for him. Man, nobody broke my heart more than that guy. And, and, and he proved that he didn't believe in me when we played Brazil in the World Cup in Palo Alto on July 4th. And he decided that I was too offensive to, to, to be in the lineup. I mean, it's the day you dream about. I mean, everybody wants to, you know, get all angry at Hope Solo because she blew up in front of the cameras after she was taken out on a coach's gut feeling that, you know, she shouldn't play. And then they end up losing 3 nothing in a final. And then she said, this is, you know, and she blew up. And everybody, you know, oh my God, what a horrible person Hope Solo is. I mean, shut up. Like the Brandy Chastains and the Julie Foudies of the world. Come on. You got, they, they were, they carried more baggage than anybody, but we just don't know about it. They're not fooling anybody, but it's the same thing. You know, you get to that final game and you've lived your whole life waiting for this moment. And then you get the rug pulled out from underneath you. It is a heartbreaker, a heartbreaker. So going back to Pulisic, does he believe in Tuchel? No, no. And I, and I think, I think, I think that might be, we might be onto something there because just as Tuchel remembers what Christian was like as a, you know, you know, wet behind the ears, little boy trying to make it into a team, Christian Pulisic reminds, it, it, it remembers what it was like to watch Thomas Tuchel as a young coach scared out of his mind, you know, curled up in the fetal position trying to figure out what he was going to do. So Tuchel kind of knows that, that this guy has seen me at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a level where I may be, well, I was in a very vulnerable spot and I got to get this guy out of here before he outs me. And I somehow got to manage him. And I think that's what's going on. Now, you know, I had a couple more things to run past you uh, before we, we get flying into what I really want to talk about. But I do want to go through a couple of things. John Brooks scores again in the Bundesliga and Greg Berhalter doesn't think he's good enough for our team. Okay. Whatever. Hey, that's just, you know, we all have our favorites and somehow he has gotten on his shit list. And my team, Bochum, Fawafel Bochum, goes to Dortmund. You don't understand what a big deal this is. Holland gets a hat trick and Bochum, Fawafel Bochum, beats him four to three. Two goals in the 80, uh, 80th minutes in, in, in the last 10. Terrific stuff. So, I mean, I, I was having my Roger Bennett moment there. You know, that's my club. So I was, I was happy to see that. 
Let me get through some of the results just because uh, Nashville opened a stadium. Congratulations, 30,000. You, you couldn't even score. You got a penalty kick. Ta-da, same thing as Charlotte. Oh, God, America. Charlotte lost to Orlando, 2-1. to one. TFC loses to Cincy. Cincinnati beats Bob Bradley. Okay. On Cincinnati, terrible. Well, apparently they're not as terrible as Toronto. So that's uh, take that one on the chin. RSL beats uh, Galaxy, which was pretty much, if you remember in the 80s when they had Pong, remember that, that computer game? I'd rather watch two people play Pong than watch those two freaking soccer teams play soccer. Oh my God, that was boring. Montreal beats uh, Atlanta. Now everybody's after Pineda saying that he's too methodical in his play. And, uh, and if you really watch, there's just no purpose in their possession. It's just like, oh, this is great. It's like, it's like going and watching a juggler. It's like, when does this get exciting? Oh, never. You're not going to score? Great. So they lose to Montreal. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Columbus finally gets their act together, but DC is still dealing with an interim manager. New England beats Inter-Miami, which... Congratulations, Eric. You didn't call him Inter Milan for the first time. Oh, good Lord. I already said Orlando. Chicago loses at home to Red Bulls. You want to talk about boring? You want to, you want to, you want to watch boring soccer? Great goalkeeper, but it's like Chicago it, it make, makes my eyes bleed. That's pretty bad. Uh, KFs, uh, so, no, no, hold on. You know, Kansas City ties Dallas 2-2. Two uh, which is which has been interesting to watch Peter Verme struggle this year. Colorado beats Portland, surprise, surprise. And then San Jose loses 3-0 on the road to, to New York. They had their bounce. They brought in a new manager. They got some crazy goals against a Seattle team that's already thinking about the CONCACAF Champions League. And now they thought they were a little bit bigger than themselves. We already talked about Nashville and Philly, 1-1. Uh, and LAFC beats, um, beats Minnesota. Surprise, surprise. Steve Sherundolo single worst manager in the history of the USL is now in charge of the best franchise in the world, hired by his buddy and that things are going well. Congratulations. All right. So this is what I want to talk to you about because I think we've pretty much got up to speed with everything that you need to know, but I want to get back to a real conversation. And this is where it gets, this is where someone in your position right now who is going to run for president of Cal South you are going to take on the endeavor of being the president of the state association in charge of the future youth programs of your state. Do you want to give me an initial statement on why the hell you would try to do that after everything I've, as friends, you know what I lived through. I tried to run for president of U.S. soccer and I was introduced to a wonderful world of people who have no idea what they're doing. Well, you've given me this phrase that I use quite often, convenient amnesia. So I've, <laughs> I've, just, I've just forgotten what a nightmare that you went through for close to- I'm glad you were able to forget it. It's still with me. I woke up in, in sweats last night, but go ahead. Keep it, was, going. it was a long process, actually, wasn't it? That, that run was seven, eight months of going around state associations, right. letting them know your platforms, how you were going to- Well, then de dealing with our current president, Cindy Cohn, who uh, basically sat with a child on her lap, interviewing me as to what my- whether she believed uh, that I was had the business sense to be uh, in charge of the federation, and um, I didn't think she heard a word I was saying because she had an infant on her lap screaming the whole entire time. Well, you and I both agree that the play-to-play -play model, something needs to shift. Something, yes. And so now, now you're president. Let's talk about it because these are these are hard questions. 
Can you fix it? I think what I'm going to try and do is create multiple platforms where we see that the clubs that want to play competitive soccer and what, I mean, I'm, I'm even confused what competitive soccer means because I look at it, you, if there's two goals and there's two teams and there's a referee. It should be competitive, but I think you're talking about pathway soccer. Right. So these are the kids that believe that they've got a shot to go to college and or be pros. Thank you. And so what we need to do, what a president needs to do is educate. Yeah. And right now, I think that the majority of clubs and technical directors are doing a disservice to parents. They're telling them a story and they're not being honest. Now, me going in there and being honest is a very dangerous game, as you yourself discovered. Yeah. Because you're not going to make yourself very popular. However, if we really, really want the sport to excel at, at the different levels and certainly at the elite level, we're going to have to make that journey a lot easier for our better players. Now, that's not to say that we still can't have competitive soccer. And that's not to say that parents still can't be milked for three and a half grand a season per kid, but they just got to realize that their child probably isn't going to play at college. They're probably not going to go to the pros and it's up to these But clubs. there's still this feeling of, there's no reason for you to stop or discontinue your love for the game, but, but let's, let's discontinue that love of a dream that isn't real. I mean, I'll never forget. I'll never forget when I, I, I did a presentation to the board of directors of regionally and I'll, I'll leave their names out of it. But one of them didn't realize I was still in the freaking room. I went to the corner to get a coffee and this guy, and there's microphones, they're open. And he says, if we go with this guy, our revenue streams are going to disappear completely. But and I, think- I, and I, I turned around, I said, I'm right here. And, and so what, what their idea of making money was more games, appease the referees because the referees are running the show, man. The more games there are, the more $70 that has to come out of a bunch on top of everything. And these, the referees get to, to really hold the whole thing in the palm of their hand and say, hey. Yes and no, though, because Eric, the, the shortage of referees nationwide is absolutely gobsmacking. Cal Scythe. Because, has, Nick, we're has, playing too many goddamn games. Well, no. the, the reality is, is you, you, we don't have a shortage of referees. We do. No, we don't. We Cal have South too many damn gone, games. Cal South has gone from 8,000 referees, 8,000 registered referees to something like 4,000. And yet the games are still being covered. So you have a, a core group of guys that are doing four, five, six games a day. Yeah. And it's a nightmare. Because and by you, the, yeah, you by get the time crew, they get to their fourth, fifth game, they're done. They're so honorary yeah. that they're, they're just telling everybody to shut up and yeah. throw in red cards. I mean, I did this. Okay, see, the point is, is I, we had a state cup final yesterday. And I've been coaching this 04 team, and this is a team that hadn't won it, and it'll, and, and, and this is it. Downtown you know? Las Vegas. Yeah, this is downtown Las Vegas, who I no longer work for, and I will never go back. That's a nice way of putting it. After but, winning the national championship and now a state championship. Well, actually, a national and regional. We won regionals, nationals, and the state. Uh, we have three trophies. We have a star on that jersey because of me and my team. Before I got there in the last 20 years, they never won any national championship. And I, I had to walk away from this because of all the reasons that we're talking about. This is unfair to these kids. That, that team should be dismantled right now. And these kids should be, and, but the club is going to continue feeding this dream and saying, well, this is how much it's going to cost. Are you guys in or out? And, and now it's, it's and, and, and the club, they do a couple of tournaments. They are sucking the world dry and making them, and, and they get a wonderful uh, payoff on this because of the beautiful hotels that exist in Vegas. They get all this kickback from all these people who just want to come to Vegas. But they happen to play a tournament 
twice a year and it finances everything. And, and the director of the, of the club, you know, drives a really nice car that he writes off on, gets a really nice salary and he doesn't care about the rest. He just wants those two tournaments to go well and he wants all his coaches to move the goals for him. Well, let's talk about the dream though. So if we take the dream of college and pros away, which only, what, 1% can actually realistically- It's not even 1%, man. I know, it's probably half a percent. So what is the dream that keeps the other 95% in the game? Love. Now, it's not even a dream. It's a love of the game, right? And, and, it's, and the only thing, when you get somebody on the edge, that's where a good technical director or a good coach in their definition of what good means is the one that's able to convince these people to hang on and get their wallet out. And that's really sad. I went on this program a week ago and I said that 85% of the kids that are playing at the competitive level should not even be there at the age of 16, 17, 18. They are not good enough for college they are just filling a roster spot and, and, and making sure that it doesn't dip into the red, that, that these teams are paid for. They have 18 paid customers. Are those the best players? Hell no. But you, you, you mentioned something, uh, that, that phrase, playing for the love of the game. Why, why is that so offensive to these clubs and technical directors. Why can't, why can't kids play for the love of the game? Why can't parents enjoy their kids playing for the love of the game? Why does there have to be this, this North Star of elite soccer? What where- I'm saying to you is love is not this expensive. No, <laughs> it's not. It's just not. And, and you know, when, when we have the ability to really love something, that doesn't mean we have to do it so many damn times in a weekend that we end up hating it. Everybody talks about burnout and they say, well, these kids are burned out. They would, the kids don't burn out in Europe. They get to them when they're 14 years old and they say, before you make a big mistake and chase this dream, I suggest you, you focus on your education because you're not good enough. And that conversation happens. And they don't want 300 teams in a club. They don't. They want three. They want an under 17, an under 19, and an under 23, and they want to develop players. And those are the best possible players. But what do we have? We don't have three teams. We have 300 teams. And then we have to figure out a way to finance poor coaching. And then we have to figure out a way, how do we get, now that we've recognized the problem that we have too many teams and we don't have enough good coaches, just like we don't have enough referees. No, well, you know, we have to license these guys. And now that's an additional expense. So all the money that any coach ever makes, he ends up dipping it back in to pay for his licensing. Now I figured it out because my wife's an accountant. You know this, right? And because we had some, some kids in this 04 group that were you know, economically or financially challenged, let's put it that way. And I had to eat it every week. Every week. Every week there was supposed to be the trainer's fees or whatever. And it's supposed to be, you know, six, $700, whatever the hell it is. It usually came at about three fifty. dollars I said, I don't give a fuck. Just give it to me. Well, guess what? My wife is an accountant. And by the time we got finished adding everything up, that national championship and that regional and that state cup yesterday cost me $3,200. So we're looking at about $1,000 a trophy here. So I didn't make any money. So when you talk about love of the game and love of coaching and love of helping people, I'm on board with that. And guess what? I just paid for it too. Yeah, you're the poster child. I mean, look, you, you bring up a great point about burnout. And I would, I would venture to say that parents actually suffer burnout as well. Yeah. And a great example is this. My son, this weekend, we had to go down to Oceanside 
So that's a 200-mile round trip for one game. We then had to go to Norco. I mean, this is ridiculous. Tra- all this travel for- No, but hold on. You just did it. You just did it. I'm burnt out on it, Eric. We don't have to travel that far just to play a game. We need to figure out locally. And, it, and, and so what if you're playing against the same teams over and over again? Establish a champion, and then that champion gets to travel. It doesn't have to be travel soccer, pay to play, pay to stay. Well, that's the best one. That's the best one. Well, no, we, I, you know, we got one game, but oh, two, you have to stay in a hotel for two nights. Why? Because that's the contract and we need $418 per person. And now the parents can't sleep with the kids. So guess what? They either don't go on the trip or they go on the trip and they, and they have their kids sleeping in a bed with them or one parent goes. I mean, there's nothing been more divisive in a family in a, in a, just than this sport. You got dad has, well, I got to stay home and hold down the fort. Where are you going? You have parents going in two different directions because the daughter plays and then, and, and they're in two different states yeah. and it's not the state they live in. Absolute it's bonkers. unreal. And the money that is spent, it's a billion dollar business. All right, we're going to, we're going to do this again sometime. Just our time is up. I mean, I, that's it. I, I, I didn't get an answer from you. It's yes or no. I don't need some long drawn out bullshit. Can you fix Cal South or not? I'm going to do my damnedest to fix it. Oh, um, it's such a political... And, just and say gonna, yes. Yes, I, I am going to fix it. But you know what? I'm going to be highly unpopular while I fix it. Beautiful. That's usually the way things work. And I don't care. I'm, if I had a vote right now, I'm, I'm electing you. All right, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you, Nick Webster. Fox Football phone in misses you. All of you out there who remember the, remember the program, remember what these conversations were like. Uh, Got to have you back on the program. I love having you in studio too because it makes it so much better because we, uh, we've always been a good team. Yeah, loved it myself. All right. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll hear you next time. I always say message at the end. You know the rules. Continue to be kind to each other. Be good human beings out there. Take care of each other. Love each other and respect and accept each other. Start there and that is usually a pretty good place to be. In the meantime, we will hear you next time.